0: Welcome to Newsworthy with Norisworthy. Get ready for some awesome. All right, friends, welcome back to the show. Today we have returning to the show, our friend, Becca Stevens. How are you?
1: I'm good. I'm happy to be back and to see you again.
0: Yes. Now you have the claim to fame as the only person ever recommended to be in the podcast by Barbara Brown Taylor. And you came through, you were on the podcast... Like a year ago, a while ago, and you're amazing. Lives were changed because of you.
1: You are kind. That's because of you. Uh,
0: well, you know, it's nice for you to say that because before we were recording, you were making fun of my bookshelves.
1: No, I just think it's interesting that you have so many books. Well, you know, I, I, in your I, screenshot, that I just think <laughs> it's, that's
0: all. it's every book I've ever seen. I just stack them right behind <laughs> me. There is no other book in my house. I just have it set that way. No, most people say, wow, Luke, you must be really smart. And instead, you just go and say, there's something wrong with you. That's what you did.
1: I didn't say there was anything wrong with you. That's all. Hmm. That not true. Shut up. That's a great, what? great
0: thermos. I'm just drinking my thermos. And then, you know, <laughs> I I hate doing a podcast and my hands are, are dry. So I'm going to get some, uh, a body bomb from my favorite supplier, body bomb, Thistle Farms. Have you ever heard of them?
1: Hey, do you have any mosquitoes around there in your overstacked libraries <laughs> use geranium oil too
0: what is the, that's like voodoo stuff do you sell that as well
1: yeah and guess what what patagonia loves it and says it's very effective for mosquitoes Who? and it helps women in rwanda in nashville it's awesome what I about see, what
0: sorry. about what about guys in texas that's what my concern is that's We're, what
1: we did it that's what we did it for
0: for guys in texas yes wow what what do i need to order now
1: Okay, it's geranium bug spray.
0: Geranium bug spray. Okay. The the
1: products that you have are beautiful. You just lack one thing.
0: Thank you. you, Ghost
2: in your life.
0: You lack one thing. Go and sell everything and give it to the poor. (laughs) I thought you were going to say that. I would much rather just buy mosquito spray. That's a whole (laughs) lot better. Obviously, what we're doing here, this this isn't a video podcast, so everyone's listening going, what are they talking about? I have some Thistle Farms products that I personally use that you sell. You guys... In Nash, we're doing some amazing things, not just making great tea and coffee mugs and body balm, but you're changing lives by doing it.
1: Oh, my gosh. Thank you for saying that. And we're just growing exponentially. It's, it's honestly, that community has taught me more about love than anything I've ever known. I mean, it's incredible how people want to hope with you, how people love you. I'm talking about strangers how they've come on board, how it is blowing up. We have like, Luke, since we've talked to you, we probably have 10 new sister partnerships. We have 18 global partners. Really? going at about 40% on our retail side. And it's because of folks like you who's like, I care about women who are survivors of trafficking. I care about people who society's forgotten. What can I do to help? And sharing the news, you know, that's really, truly good news. I mean, the idea that Trafficking is a horrible story, but this is a good news story, and that you're willing to share it is huge. So thank you for having me back. I'm glad to be here.
0: Well, I'm glad to play a minuscule part in the great stuff that you guys are doing. Okay, 18 new partnerships. As, tell me more what that means.
1: Well, they're sister communities, and those are folks who are in the U.S., Okay, and they really believe in a housing-first model for survivors of trafficking. Some of them have social enterprises. Some of them are just beginning that journey. But we're helping them get started, and we're creating a national network of folks who really, really, really um, are kind of finally getting the connection between you know, the thousands and thousands of women still on the street who are surviving and the only hundreds of beds that are available in the country. Hmm. And these are really long-term free beds. Now, the global partnerships, mm-hmm. those are groups that are all social enterprise. And it could be a group in Rwanda, in Ghana, in Ecuador, in India, all women who are survivors of devastating poverty, uh, sexual violence, of genocide. Have come together, and so we developed a network so that the women who are the producers make truly a living wage.
0: Wow. Okay, we'll, we're gonna get into this more. Let's to let's the backstory though. You, you're you in Nashville, you were a uh, chaplain at, at Vanderbilt, and yeah. you decided you wanna do something. Was something going on, or did you start Thistle Farms from scratch?
1: No, I mean, you know, I mean, it's never from scratch. So what started was, you know, I had moved to Nashville when I was like four years old with my mom and dad, and then he was killed by a drunk driver. He was also an Episcopal priest. And the guy that stepped in to, um, you know, run the church yeah. did that thing. And so, you know, you're vulnerable, you're broken, and then he steps in and the yes. sexual abuse starts for a couple of years. And so I went out in my life, I got ordained, and I think I always had a heart for the women that were on the streets, and I kept thinking about how I would want it done for me if I was coming off the streets or jail.
2: Hmm.
1: I hadn't made the connection at that point between what I had gone through and what the women um, that I would be serving through Thistle Farms have gone through. And I don't compare my story. I mean, I barely get get it, what they have survived. But I get enough of it to know that... Um, you know, it just, it messes up everything. It, it, it yeah. makes relationships hard. It makes trusting authority hard. It makes, God, it makes church work hard.
2: Yeah.
1: And so I didn't start from nothing. I think I started from some brokenness. And what I began to understand is that when we can turn, this is what I think I'm getting just now. And this is like 20 years later. When we can turn our brokenness into compassion for others,
0: healing happens. Hmm. That's, that's really good. Okay. You, the first time we talked, you went into more detail about, so uh, about your early uh, story. And so if people want to hear more about that, they can check out that, that conversation. Uh So we're not going to go through that again, but you you grow up your, your dad, five, as a five-year-old, your dad passes away. You've got four other siblings, your mom's like, what, like what I can't imagine. I have, three daughters, and I can't imagine what my wife would do if all of a sudden she's by herself. And somehow, you end up doing the same vocation that your dad was doing. You're mm-hmm. priest just like your dad. But your dad probably didn't get to wear the cool clothes like you wear. Because I see pictures of you preaching, and I'm like, your dad probably didn't get to wear that, right?
1: I don't know. I think he probably could have pulled it off. He was a beautiful man, but he chose not to. He mm-hmm. was pretty conservative, mm-hmm. both his dress and his theology. And my mom said that one time— um, she remembers him saying, "The end of the church was basically if women were ever allowed to read in church." Oh no! Oh no!
0: <laughs> how would that have conversation? How would that conversation have gone with your dad? And you're like, um, "Yeah, I feel like I'm going to do more than just read in church. I'm going to become a priest." How would that have gone? You think?
1: I, exactly. Like I'm not going to cover my head anymore in church. <laughs> oh my god! But you know, you got to believe people would evolve. Yeah. You know, he was just taken too early to see the, um, <clears throat> the joy that women have brought to the faith community.
0: Yeah, definitely. As leaders. Definitely. And so you, you go through your own struggle, tragedy. It's not an easy childhood, obviously, and, and obviously some terrible things happened. You end up, you're Vanderbilt, you decide, you know, the mag, uh, the Thistle Farms, you do all this great stuff, and in the midst of this, you start writing some letters. And your newest book is a collection of letters from the farm. The, the title is Letters from the Farm. I got it right. Letters from the Farm. That's it. And so I'm reading this book, and it's a great like devotional, which I highly recommend. Like someone who wants, hey, I want to read something every day, a little section, kind of get me focused, a devotional. This book, it's great for that. It's really good. Well done. That's <laughs> me saying nice things to you. Thank you very, very much. And, and so what I like about it is It's not like, hey, we're just going to read a Bible verse about God's love and we're going to be happy. But these are stories and letters that are coming out of like great struggle. And you tell these stories that are truly like extremely tragic and you work them in and your theology is, is clearly worked out of suffering and adversity. You tell one story about a girl who was locked in a closet for four months and abused, sexually abused And she ends up being a graduate from one of your programs. And for me, I'm just going, any theology that's not good news everywhere doesn't really need to be said. And you're doing theology in some of the most adverse situations in such a compelling way. That's what I really appreciate about your work.
1: Thank you. No, seriously, (laughs) that is is like a beautiful thing is for people to see the light in that darkness. (laughs) And to be able to celebrate it. And I keep thinking that what makes it light is that people come together and say, you know, we're more powerful than all that. We're better than all that. We are are humble. We are courageous. We're all those things. But it's like if people come together and decide to change something, like the way that many of the young women that I serve have been treated, it'll change. And the women, you know, I, you know, there's the old adage, if you rape a woman, you kill the village. Rape the women, kill the village.
2: Hmm.
1: So, you know, it's a tool of war, it's an act of war, and all that rape of young women happens because we value silence more than we value honesty and community still. Huh. And so a guy can come in and that is, you know, raping young women and you know 100 women 100 young women and if a trafficker comes in with young women you know you can sell a drug once you can sell a young woman a thousand times it's much more profitable but the opposite of that is true too heal the women heal the village so the woman that you're talking about in that particular story she went back to her family she disrupted some generationally dysfunctional systems that have been in place she stopped and got recovery for many people in her family she 's gone back and repaired relationships she 's done outreach mm-hmm. she 's spoken out One woman can help heal a village
0: Wow. i 'm assuming that 's the answer to this this question but my my first thought was, how do you hear stories like that and experience the byproduct of that kind of evil and not get overwhelmed by it and not let your light be kind of dimmed by all the darkness around you and I'm assuming the answer is seeing that sort of conclusion of the story
1: yeah I mean it's crazy because like and I have I've been I think I've been just about all around the world hearing similar stories and it is a universal story the story of violence and degradation done especially to young women and that's not that's not what makes me like weepy or weak in the knees anymore
0: hmm. What is? I,
1: I get fired up by that stuff what makes me really um, just so humble and so like weepy is how kind people are anywhere we've gone and you hear that story you hear many 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 more people saying what can I do to help how can I join in this is what I believe about love I mean I'm telling you this summer I've been in Portland, Michigan, Utah, uh, New Hampshire, Massachusetts, Florida, Mexico, Texas.
0: There we go. That's the important one. There it is. Texas. I
1: can hardly remember that trip.
0: Because it's like heaven. It's like everything else you just want to block out. I understand. So you've been <laughs> all over and you... Ex-
1: Everywhere we go, it's like, here's what we can do to help. Here's how we can help. Communities of people saying... Okay, this we can do. This we can do and it's it's it's
0: unbelievable to me. So that's more moving to you than the like the actual tragedy? The response by people is more powerful to you? Is that what you're saying?
1: I would say it's powerful in a different way. The yeah. other one's powerful and firing me up to say, "I've heard the story before, let's get to work." And the other one makes me so um incredibly grateful i'm not even sure what to do
2: wow. sometimes
1: it's like how can like okay there's another hundred people that are friends of our friends of ours there's another hundred people that are friends of ours and it's like is this what a movement is mm.
2: <laughs> i mean i
0: start
1: wondering like when does like something become a movement
0: yeah how do you help these these young women not um take the road of, like, retribution and trying to get even, but instead choosing forgiveness. You you, you tell stories of, uh, I think a lady was named Ty, and she was a part of your program. She had to go back to jail for a year, and you said something about, you know. The three years. Three, she had to go back for three years? She
1: had to go back for three years and one day.
0: And one day. Okay. Like, how did, and you talk about how the system is not really even for her. It doesn't take into account the fact that when she was 12, she was raped, and obviously all the terrible things that happened, after that kind of stuff happens. Like how, how do you help these women or how do these women help each other and help you like choose forgiveness instead of just being bitter and angry and wanting retribution?
1: Well, she says it's because it was the first time she ever got sent back to prison with the community.
0: Yeah.
1: I think she, um, I think she's very, very special. And she just finished this weekend, um, with a guy named John Acuff who has, Oh, you know, John,
0: Oh, no, I saw on your Facebook that he was out there.
1: Well, so she was just doing a volunteer project with John Acup, and they made 5,000 candles this weekend to sell. Like, the holidays, they're called um, Hope Candles. So she's still out there shining the light, hmm. like not just metaphorically, but literally. <laughs> it's like...
0: I see what you did there because it's a candle.
1: See? Yeah. Did you see that?
0: That's a devil in tundra right there.
1: No, it's just obvious. It was a metaphor that I was scared you weren't going to get.
0: Okay, so she's she's letting her little light shine.
1: Yeah, she's letting her light shine. Not a double entendre, but a metaphor that's so important. <laughs> um, but wait.
2: So, okay,
0: yeah, yeah.
1: I can't remember what we were talking about.
0: You, well, how does she choose forgiveness over, like, being bitter and retribution? How do do huh?
1: How do you do that? Well,
0: okay, I haven't been through anything like that. I mean...
1: But just like in your life, how do you do
0: that? Well, I think forgiveness is a daily choice. Like you it's not a one time thing. You you have to make a choice to be a person of forgiveness, not just sh- not just to forgive one time. But I haven't been through anything like that. Like I haven't it's not my daughter who's been victimized. It's not you know, it's are are you trying to say <laughs>
1: yeah. I think we all forgive the same way. Okay. I think sometimes it feels more dramatic, but I think For all of us, it's in the little things, you know, that we find the big things. And it's in the big things that, you know, the little things come. It's not different. Forgiveness is a thing. That's a grace that happens for us, and we all get to practice it. But Ty does it, you know, beautifully, and she is a beautiful teacher for me. She truly is.
2: Hmm.
1: And, you know, one of the things that I think is that young women... um, who come to us, I mean, we've had women who've had their, in the last year, who've had their legs shot off by their traffickers. We've had women who've been stuffed in trunks. We've had young women who, you know, spent yeah. their year where they should have been celebrating their proms, um, you know, dragging themselves out of a, of a ditch after being raped by a john. You know, it's just, there's tons of stories like that, but the women relapse because mostly because of other relationships where people still continue to use them and they still continue to feel unworthy. And so for us in our community, we continue to say women relapse over a relationship before they relapse over a drug. When I say relapse, I mean Mm. back to the streets and back to prison.
0: What do you mean over a relationship?
1: Like you'll be on your way, um, on your journey to be doing something worthy, I don't know what that means, but like on your way to work, let's say. Yeah. And somebody that you've been talking to in recovery or somebody you knew from your past gets back in touch with you and says, you know, I just want to take you out to lunch. You just look so great. You look so healthy. You're beautiful.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: You know, and there's still this, I think, deep shame or deep longing to believe somebody loves you like that and that's still possible, all of that stuff. And they go back and then the guy ends up beating them again or sending them back on the streets or doing whatever. But it's happened, you know, 80% of the women who come through our program graduate. But 20% of the women suffer awful, awful relapses where they don't come back.
0: Hmm. So what do you think happens in the 80% that's causing them to not relapse because of a bad relationship that the 20% are falling into or stumbling into?
1: I think it's vision. I think it's having a vision for the future where you're the um, driver of your ship. You know, you have a real vision about what it looks like. And I think it's um, about a lot of times you fall in love with the right person, Hmm. somebody that's beautiful and kind to you and you can develop a new life and have babies and have a life and they're good to you and they're in recovery or whatever and they're Christian and faithful and it works. And then sometimes I just think it's um, you, ha- you did get sick and tired and you've learned the lessons of the streets and you're done. You're just done. And nobody's going to take you back.
0: Yeah. How, how do you help someone have a vision, like a better vision for what their life can be? What Do you guys have like a course in which you're actually talking about that? Or do you partner them with someone? What, what is it that, that you do to Absolutely. help them?
1: Absolutely, We talk to women about it. We um, have classes about it. We work through it together. We draw pictures. Draw a picture of what you hope.
0: Like really? Like, like a, get a piece of paper and color yep. and
1: stuff? Yeah.
0: Like a dream board or something?
1: The woman that's the head of our national sales division, when she came through the program, I'll never forget it. Her daughter was tiny, tiny, tiny. And she was sitting on her mom's lap, and we were having a class about what are the goals? What's the vision? What's the hope? And we had a piece of paper, and we had markers, and we were like, draw, it. draw what the vision is. Hmm. And her daughter whispers where everybody could hear it in her mom's ear-ish, you know how kids are. And she goes, Mama, draw a house. Oh. And um, now her daughter, who is a college graduate, um, her first job out of college, her mama hired her to come work at Thistle Farms and be the representative for Whole Foods. And her mom owns a beautiful home Hmm. and um, put her daughter through college and then ended up hiring her.
0: That's amazing. That is so good. I'm going to cry right now. That's such a good story. It's sweet, right? How many... You just seem to have, like, amazing stories, like, billions of them. Do you literally have a billion of these stories? Because I just want to hear you tell these stories all day long. Hmm. Because these are stories of, like... Redemption in the kingdom of heaven, like it's happening right in your midst and you see like forgiveness ultimately like changing the world and you get to do that every day. Well, that was part
1: of the reason I wanted to write this, these letters out and it was for especially young people who are going, can I live into my ideals? Can I hope like this? Can I dream like this and not have to compromise? And it's like, yes, here's a billion stories. You can absolutely do it. It's not magic.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I kept thinking like, we want a simple faith that is very fruitful, that produces, you know, lots of love in this world and cares for us. And, and that, I mean, that was the whole goal.
0: Well, you've accomplished your goal. Do I count as young? I count as a young person, right? Because I'm a young person who's completely inspired by all these stories.
1: And it's also for middle-aged men with three children.
0: Middle? Seriously, I thought we were friends. Now you're going <laughs> to, I'm not middle-aged. That's hurtful. That's hurtful. Huh? How old are you? I'm, it, isn't that kind of rude to ask a podcaster how old he is? I turn, I turn 34 in next Tuesday. Okay, you can
2: and you.
0: I'm young, yes. Jesus is the same age as me when he got crucified. So let's, no, he let's, was let's, younger. He was, no, he was 33. I'm 33 right now. This is his crucifixion year. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of, I got a lot of pressure to accomplish a whole lot in the next eight days to really catch up on way behind okay let's go back to the Something
1: books all with you
0: becca i'm here to talk nice things about your book and all you do is you make fun of me you ridicule me <laughs> i feel like this is an abusive relationship
1: yeah but i admire you and that's why you stay
0: <laughs> stop we're gonna i don't want to talk about myself anymore i don't how do you admire me let's go and hear that
1: <laughs> i admire all the books <laughs>
0: All right. Let's talk. Uh, let's talk about your book. Okay. You tell a story, which you, you start the chapter off and not not start the chapter, but you tell the story of this girl who was for four months in this closet being abused, held as a prisoner. And then just underneath that, you tell a story about, I think it's Ascension Day or something. And you're in the Harpeth River and there's like 25 people. And it's just like this beautiful baptism, baptismal ceremony event thing and you have this line about ascension like you can believe in ascension not so much because someone rises to heaven but because heaven reaches down to us and there's such a good line and so how how are you processing that idea like heaven reaches down while at the same time you're telling a story of like hell reaching up and grabbing this girl for four months how do you hold those two in tension
1: They're part of the same story. I mean, what about her never feeling abandoned in that? I mean, how close does heaven have to be when you have a sliver of light under a closet door that you've been locked in by somebody that's supposed to be loving you, that's dragging you out and keeping you drugged and you know, you're working you're having sex when you come out or getting a little bit of food or whatever. And that she had this sliver of light and felt the presence of God with her. To not abandon her—that's hmm. that's a miracle.
2: Yeah.
1: And like to be able to, for all of us to look back on our story and not feel like you know this is the abandonment, this is the worst. But to feel like, can you believe God was still there in that hell? That heaven was so beautiful, or this love is so massive, or the net is cast so wide that it even comes there.
2: Hmm.
1: And so. For me, when I think of some of my lowest times and think, how do I retell that story where love is present? How do, I, um, how do I look back on that and find grace in that and mercy in that? Then this whole way that we live is full of gratitude and all our morality is based on that gratitude. That's like we want to do more and we want to be generous with each
2: other.
0: Yeah. Well, what helps you see the grace and the love in all the different chapters of your life? Like you're trying to do that. Well, is there anything that helps you do that? Hmm. Besides, listening, besides about, listening to this podcast, of course.
1: Well, for me, yeah, obviously. But <laughs> I think really for me, it is um, getting really humble enough to um, be able to Say like any bit of love, any bit of joy that was a gift, not like, can you believe they did not send me birthday presents? you know on my thirty third birthday and that was the year that Jesus died. you know, like that didn't get you anywhere, no, so like when I was thirty three and I had three kids and I still did a podcast, and I still thought I was youthful, that in the midst of that, all these people still love me and hmm. You know what I mean? It's just, yeah. it's, it's a change of, to me at least, it's all these things. It's like you have, you, Luke, have permission to feel grace and to feel love and to remember how beloved you are. And when the clouds part and the dove comes down, it's to shine a light on you. You have permission to feel that.
0: Hmm, That's good. It seems like the, the one thing that removes your ability to experience joy more than anything else is a sense of entitlement. It seems like the sense that, like, I do deserve this. The world owes me something. That, more than anything else, seems, from my experience, to, like, remove my ability to experience joy.
1: Isn't that boring?
0: And it's very boring, yes.
1: It's so boring to hear it, like, you know, can you believe the maid shrunk
0: my top? <laughs> That's not a good story at all.
1: all. Right. It's like going, how about shut up?
0: <laughs> do you... I'd like to think of you as a priest and you tell someone, hey, shut up, or you mock them and say you still have to do a podcast when you're 33. Is this what they teach you at preschool? <laughs>
1: My preschool seminary?
0: Yeah, preschool.
1: You know what? Um, I was in such trauma. Thanks for bringing that up during preschool, but I have no memory of it. But <laughs> hey. hey, I wasn't making fun of you. I was saying you no, I know. a celebrity spokesmodel feel entitled and then not have joy or you could feel humbled that you still have this gift of getting to do this i know yeah and it's awesome i wasn't i would no. never in a million years would ever ever think about making fun of you
0: thank you we're gonna have to repeat that audio clip so we can all understand it but i i hear this is like a continual hey okay, you just made fun of me no i was affirming you i was saying i wanted that was such a wise statement <laughs> i want to hear it multiple times That's what I was saying. But I hear as a continual theme on the podcast to view life as a gift.
1: Well, the other thing is I remember a guy that came through and he was filming Thistle Farms in Magdalene. He spent about four or five days in the community of Thistle Farms interviewing women and talking about things. And one day he was coming home from the uh, filming and he knocked on the door and he opened the door and his wife goes, I have a problem. And he just looked at her and he goes, no, you don't.
0: <laughs> it's, it's really hard to see the things that you typically think are problems when you see the, you know, cornucopia problems that the majority of people have to deal with. Right.
1: Yeah. And he'd been seeing it through a lens all day long. And he was like, I don't care if the washer's broken. I don't care if the kids are late. I don't care if dinner's cold. I don't care if I'm 20 minutes late. I don't care if, you know, you have a headache. Those are small things. We're fine. We're yeah. grateful. We are grateful today.
0: Yes. Your, your leg's not being shot off. You're not being raped in a ditch. You're not a part of a country that's going through a genocide. You don't have to deal with all that stuff.
1: I have my teeth. Well. You know what I mean? That's yeah. how you get, you get to that point of like women are like, thank you so much for my teeth. I have I fake. most of my teeth and you gave me teeth back. And it's like, okay, I'm going to start every morning with I'm so grateful for my teeth.
0: I, I have fake front teeth. And they got broken when I was in school right around Christmas time. So people would sing that song. All Luke wants for Christmas is his two front teeth. Oh. So I can personally relate to that. I've been there. I've, I've. You're grateful
1: for your teeth.
0: I seriously, every time I bite an apple, my tooth doesn't fall out. I still, it, you're, again, you're laughing at me. No, I, I'm crying. I, you're crying. Oh, you're compassionate. So yes, but I, like I can experience that um, in a very real way. Okay. We've gotten detoured. I wanted to ask a follow-up question to the story about the light coming into the closet. You make the connection and say, you know, that light is a grace, that's a gift. Were you the one who was making that connection, or is that person who's gone through that, did she make that connection?
1: Well, that person that, made that, con- that went through that mm-hmm. ended up um, speaking to many, many groups about what the gift of that light was and oh, wow. what it's like to come out of that. And to make rec- you know to make retro- not what is it um, to reconcile with her family and to be with her children again, wow. I may have put the words on it in, in the theological sense, but she definitely made that connection.
0: so she was getting that then absolutely Wow, wow. okay, so you talk about you mentioned this earlier, Ty, um, your friend who talked about community was the way that even though she was going to prison for three years and one day that she was able to forgive and to not have anger. And I think in the book, she talked about people writing letters and putting money on the, some card. Yeah. That thing. And so that's like community. You talk, (laughs) I don't know what it's called. Um, but you also talk about this guy who sends you this email doubting about things and, and you get to respond to some of the most basic questions of faith, which is what, you know, priest does hopefully without, laughing at them or telling them to shut up. And you talk about, like, the answer to doubts is hospitality. You talk about the answer for, like, forgiveness is, like, it's found in community. And you create, like, this beautiful picture of what church can be. Has that, like, is that kind of like your go-to thing? Like, we've experienced the love of Jesus in this people around us? Am I picking up what you're putting down is my question. You
1: are definitely picking up what I'm putting down. And I do think that is at the heart of being a church, you know, The way I think I said it in the book was a church without beggars is a museum. It's good. Well, it's true. You know, you go to some of the old cathedrals in Europe and it's like they're actually museums. And we have this thing of like we want to clean community up or we don't want it to be that messy or we don't want to have the ties and the debbies and those folks in our community that are fairly broken and needy to begin with. It's like, okay, we're all beggars. We're begging for a lot of stuff, Mm -hmm. and begging has been a part of the church for years. It's a noble profession. So just remember that we're beggars and that there's enough for us, and it makes it easier to be that way for other people. So my point in the book was when we are community and we are literally begging from each other and for each other, there's plenty.
2: Hmm.
0: What do you think prevents us from having the worldview that says, I am a beggar? What makes me not think I'm in the same situation as the person who literally is begging?
1: I think it's probably the um, money that you have and the fame and the um, prestige, honestly.
2: Hmm.
1: And you forget, it makes it it covers some stuff up. You know, the old expression, no one you know, what is it? What is it? Oh, there's never there's never a U Haul behind a hearse.
0: And I ain't never seen a hearse with a luggage rack is how George Strait says it, I believe. That's
1: right. And so the idea is that it's like all that stuff is not, you know, it's nothing. It doesn't doesn't hide the fact that we are, you know, truly beggars at the gate in a beautiful way for each other and with each other and to each other.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: I mean, you know, I get sick. I call my doctor friend. Hey, can you help me out? I need a pack real quick. Yeah. Not above it.
0: Not above it at all.
1: I'm not above that.
0: Why should you be? We shouldn't be. We don't want to be above that. money to go to a doctor. <laughs> okay, I've asked you questions. Tell me a story. I don't. This is just a terrible question. I just want to hear another story that's really good. And I don't know which one you want to tell. But you always have good stories. Tell me a story of like redemption that you've seen. We've talked about Ty. We've talked about the girl who is seeing the light from the closet what's your like Do you have a go-to story that like when, when i don't you...
1: have a go-to story but i have a story from last week you know oh I, I
0: want to hear the story from last week yeah
1: okay so one of the communities that invited us in was called bayview and it's in the upper peninsula in michigan on lake michigan it's a summer community they have like 600 folks that come and i thought oh my gosh i want to take um lori with me and i've never traveled with lori ever and she met us through Magdalene on the inside, which is a community of women in prison. Okay. And so she got out of prison last year and she came into the Thistle Farms community, the pre residential program. She started folding T shirts, that was her job for Thistle Farms, and she said all day long she was just looking at Love Heels, Love Heels, Love Heels, Love Heels, Love Heels, Love Heels mm-hmm. on T shirts all day long and I'm like, What does that mean? What does that mean? Love heels, love heels, love heels. Like six hours a day. Yeah. Folding T-shirts, and I was like, "She has to come on this trip. She's never flown before, you know. She's, and this will be really easy. It's one hour a day you speak, and the rest of the time you're just sitting in a little cottage, on like
0: Michigan. Shut up! That's not that you, again. Clearly, a main part of your vernacular, up well, telling people to shut up. Yeah, but that's a good way. Yeah, so yeah. it's great. It's a great trip.
1: Right. So we go. You know, and she takes pictures with the stewardess, with the pilot. You know, she's, like, happy and joyful.
0: Did we you get- make her sit on the the, the middle seat because it was her yeah, first flight? Yes, she would
1: never be I better. <laughs> I okay. took the window, and some of my other friends <laughs> took the aisle, and we were like, yes, you got the best seat. You're in
2: the middle so wrong.
1: <laughs> so we get there. You know, she sees, like, Michigan, and she's so excited because she says she's never seen the ocean before.
0: That counts as an ocean. Or like,
1: I know, I was like, I was, didn't want to tell her. I was like, I got to tell you something. No, don't. I'm looking at the ocean.
0: <laughs> so, did you I, tell her I, that?
1: I kind of did, but I said it really gently. This is like an ocean. Yeah. And we did have a little beach, and you could see little waves. And I said, but this is just the preview for when we really
0: go to the ocean. good. That's, yeah, that's good. That counts.
1: You know, she shares the story. It's a horrible story, horrible, horrible. And, you know, her ending up running away at 15 and getting in the car with the, one of the worst people that you could get in a car with, and the ensuing years and years and years in prison. Anyway, um, it was one night, about the third night we were there, so probably almost exactly a week ago. She knocks on my door. We're in the little cottage together with Anika and my son, Kaney, And she says, um, I need to tell you something I was reading Letters from the farm. So she was picking up the book that you're talking about. Yeah, And she said, you talked about um, self-forgiveness. And I've never really thought about it before. But I read it, and I started praying about it, and I walked in the bathroom, and she said, this is the first time I've ever looked at myself and not hated what I've seen. Oh, wow. And she said, I feel light. And all those times I read, love heals, love heals, love heals. She said, I think it's healing me.
0: Wow. And she
1: goes, I got to go to bed. And I'm like, good night, sweetie.
0: Oh, my goodness. How good is that?
1: How good is it? How, what else do you need in the whole world? Nothing. Nothing.
0: And it's all because she read your new book. <laughs> it's all because of your book. It, it, it's it, all
1: because I told her the middle seat was the best.
0: <laughs> oh, my goodness.
1: I love her. Lori.
0: Okay. If people have even just a modicum of love in their heart. They're thinking, Oh my goodness, I wanna like help out Thistle Farms, Magdalene, whatever Becca Stevens is doing that she's talking about, I want to be a part of it somehow. How what is the answer to that? What is the best way they can get involved? They want to buy some tea. There's
1: a million there's a million ways to do it. The very best thing is to get online and see just look at us online. You can become social media advocates. Yeah, you can drink tea, you can Volunteer. We have tons of volunteer opportunities in your local community to help the national movement. I mean, easy, easy. You can sell our candles. It's almost like gift wrapping at a school where you buy it wholesale, you sell it retail. I mean, we're going to try to sell another five thousand candles. We can hire two new women if we do that.
2: Hmm.
1: Two the- more stories, like like Lori's and Debbie's or ties. I mean, like it would it would just be done. It would if, be done. Five hundred candles. Get-
0: No, 5,000. Oh, that's a lot more than 500. 5,000 candles, you can hire two ladies.
1: But that's 50 50 churches selling 100
0: candles. Okay. I love it. What if people say, I love the ministry, I love what you're doing, I love these stories, I love tea, I love candles, but I think essential oils are basically voodoo. (laughs) What? what... I don't
1: speak to those people. Okay.
0: <laughs> I don't forgive them. You don't go. to the, Okay. All
1: right. <laughs> Jeez, and what could be voodoo about lavender? I don't it's, know. It's the sweetest thing ever.
0: I didn't say it. I have a friend who's very sciencey, and his first name is Mike, and he was just telling What's
1: me. His last name, first letter. You can say that. Not, Mike. Mike W. Mike M.
0: Well, his he kind of. I'm not going to throw science Mike McCarg under the bus and say his name. I'm not going to do that. Just okay,
1: tell you, tell anonymous my, Mike McCarg. That I said... Oh,
0: she's typing. Uh Uh-oh. she's getting That I said
1: that if you don't love lavender, oh my gosh, you're missing out on some joy.
0: Okay, deal. That's probably... Okay, so the point is, even if you don't believe in essential oils, you can still believe that love heals and sell candles, buy Thistle Farm Body Balm. This four-ounce thing has been very great for me. And uh (laughs) yeah. So funny outstanding hey becca it has been a blast your new book uh letters from the farm well done on that
1: thank you why are you coming
0: i've never been invited
1: come 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 let's do one podcast from thistle farms and you can interview the women
0: i okay done we're gonna next time in nashville i'm gonna make that happen
1: okay you swear
0: i i don't swear because i've read the bible but i promise
1: but do you promise, like, really, really
0: promise? I, I don't have a trip to Nashville in the fall, but I need to schedule one. And when I do, I'll let you know. You'll be the first person I know that I let know. <laughs> if you come to Texas again and don't call me, I'm going to be really hurt, though. Where in Texas is I it? I live in Dallas right now. And no. I don't know why you didn't, uh, yeah.
1: I was right down the road and didn't come by. That's awful. That's awful. That's awful.
0: People can't see this, but I'm giving you a very evil look right now. You That's
1: can- your evil look. You're so sweet.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Again, we're done. We're done. Bye. Becca, you're the best. Thanks
1: for checking out Newsworthy with Norsworthy. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. You are now adjourned.